I think we need to understand that that we we need to create markets for for recycled raw materials, and this the, the markets to actually sell in are nascent, which and the value chains are nascent, which means that once you're competing with 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 prime, primary raw materials, virgin raw materials, where those value chains and markets have existed for this you know decades, that's it's it's hard to sort of get up to an economy of scale, if you will, up the learning curve in order to actually get to the point where you where you are able to to compete. Welcome to another episode of Animalia where we bring wildlife conservation, climate change, and social justice together to help people connect the dots and get involved. Today on Animalia, we are diving into the dirty and fascinating world of waste and recycling. We hear a lot about moving to clean energy, clean food, electric cars, cutting out plastic when it comes to saving this planet. Waste, however, is still a big issue, and it continues to frankly pile up. And it's actually surged during the pandemic. Waste has increased more than 10% during this pandemic as folks are ordering in more and buying online more than ever before. And how much of that weekly recycling bin is actually getting recycled? Well, not as much as you might think. And as we'll learn today, the solution is not necessarily just consuming less and recycling more. Those are very good things. But rather, changing the very materials we make products and packaging with. Getting to a truly circular economy is perhaps one of the most important milestones ahead. And we're going to chat about that with one of the foremost thinkers in this space. Erik Osmundsen is the chairman of NG, the largest waste management and recycling operator in Norway. Their progress on recycling has been incredible in the last decade. But as we'll learn from Erik, this is only part of the battle. We will dispel some of the urban myths on what can and cannot be recycled and discuss the ideal circular economy of the future. Before we get started, I thought it would be kind of fun to demonstrate just how confusing this topic is. So I asked a few friends a couple common questions. How do they decide what to put in recycling versus trash? Should paper towels be recycled, trashed, or composted? And what percent of your recycling actually gets recycled? All right. So first I asked them, how do you make a decision? I kind of have an idea in my mind of what is recyclable and what's not. And I guess I could be more proactive about keeping up with um, new, uh, new information on that. But yeah, I would say basically in my mind, I just, um, I kind of feel like I know. And so that's how I go off of, but I'm sure it's very incorrect. There's just like in terms of materials, like if, uh, um, like the, uh, almost everything I think is recyclable unless it has like, um, like food waste on it, I think. And then like some plastics are and some aren't. Um, but even the ones that aren't, I kind of just still put them in this recycling with the hopes that someone somewhere down the road will figure out how to recycle it. Well, I have the little printout that the city gave me, so I try to reference that as often as I can. Um, but mostly I have a system of compost, 
trash when I'm not sure and plastic and paper when I am sure. I do a mental check of whether this is soiled by food or not recyclable. Styrofoam and stuff that's not cardboards or wood-based or glass-based and not broken. So I try to recycle anything that's plastic or glass or aluminum. Um, When I'm shopping, though, I try to buy glass over plastic always. And yeah, so that's when I'm recycling or throwing things away. That's what I think about. So then I asked about paper towels. Do you recycle them? Do you throw them away? Or do you compost them? I put magazines and paper items in the recycling. Um, I don't put styrofoam in the recycling, so I'll put styrofoam in trash. If I get some kind of packaging, like a cardboard box, I'll put that in recycling. But the, the, the plastic stuff inside, I'll put in the trash. Wine bottles, cans, um, or really any kind of glass bottle I'll recycle, as well as any plastic bottles. Um, Yeah, those are the main ones I can think about. I think it depends on the paper towel. Um, If it has food waste composted, if it is clean, then recycled. If it's dirty... And you don't have composting, I guess, trash. I don't use paper towels, but in the rare instances that I do, since I have one roll hidden in a cupboard, I trash them because they're dirty and you can't recycle them when they're dirty. Um, I try to use paper towels sparingly. And when I do use them, I do throw them in the trash. Yeah, so I pretty much always put them in the trash. And finally... I asked, what percent of what you recycle do you think actually ends up getting recycled? I like to think a large percentage, um, but I'm an optimist. Maybe like 70%. I don't want to know the answer to that question because it's probably a lot less than I think. Um, I hope the majority of it, but I fear a small percentage. Oh, I've heard rumors that it's really, really low. Um, I don't know, like less than 50. Let's go with 40%. I would hope it's close to 90%, but I fear it may be closer to 60%. Like uh, 50%? As you can all see, not exactly the same answers across the board. Now, mind you, these are people in my life that are fairly further along in the environmental spectrum, uh, albeit either on their own or hearing from me about trash and waste and recycling. So this is not even a true cross-section of overall population and still the confusion. So let's get in the episode and find out. There's a lot of confusion out there, right? Like there's confusion around, perfectly honest, as someone who looks into it and cares about it, thinks about it, I still don't 100% know exactly what I can put in that recycling bin every week. And I'm, I'm sure it changes from city to city, country to country based on the process, but I'm sure there, there's some things that we, we should, we should you know, watch out for. I don't know exactly what percentage of 
things that I put in the recycling bin actually get recycled. I, I look on the internet and I see statistics ranging from 2% to 30%. And I don't know what, what's real, but I do know that it's a problem and, and waste is a problem. And it's sort of kind of a, a characteristic of the modern human era. From what I understand, it, waste really became an issue not from the onset, because I think in the early days, it was a lot of paper food scraps. When we moved into the world of plastic and batteries and home care products and these things that do not biodegrade, that is when waste really became an issue. And it seems like only, it just seems we haven't really got our act together on it in the last 50 years. And, and finally, people are waking up to it. But still, I think for the most part, people wake up every day go about their business and are not changed behavior and are not sure what, what's re, like, what, what to do about it. Mm, exactly. No, and, and uh, as you say, it's a, it's a dynamic picture as well, but, but if, if you, if your if your sort of waste or r- raw materials gone astray, as we call them, if they, if they end up with us, you, I can tell you that 56% gets recycled into new products. Got it. So that, that's with, with, with your company. Yeah, exactly. And, and the reason why I, I can tell you that is that we, we, we trace the materials through the value chain. So, so I'm not telling you what we are creating as as materials that potentially could be recycled. I'm telling you what actually got recycled. So, of tons in and tons out. And I think, and I think the one of the one of the things that we need is more transparency, right? I think that more transparency will will lead to some shocking shocking revelations for sure. But also, it will lead to the to the KPIs and the political pressure to actually. Uh, hand this in a better way because for our customers it's very important to know that it's 56% and for them it's very interesting to know what is it for their goods what can we do with what, what exactly they delivered to us because maybe you had a lot of paper or, or metals and then obviously it's 90% or maybe you didn't you didn't bother to, to, to sort out the source and then perhaps it's 10% so so it's all it's all in, in sort of getting those facts on the table I think yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a lot I want to get to in terms of, you know, what your company is specifically doing and why you're having the success you're having, as well as some of the details around what is recyclable, what's not, who's who's doing it well and what we can expect going forward. And I and I know talking about the circular economy is something that at least from a press and on your on your on your site, you talk about a lot and to just give people an order of magnitude of the waste. I mean, I, I know, I believe it's around 2 billion tons of waste get produced each year globally, but what are some other statistics that stand out to you that describe why waste is such a big problem and how it's impacting our climate? Yeah. No, so maybe, maybe you are right. What, the, the statistics that I have is that we, if, you, if you go back uh, to 2010, we produced three and a half million tons per day. So that's about a, a billion point two. So that might be 2 billion today. That is increasing to 6 million tons per day by 2025. So the amount of waste that we are creating is growing almost exponentially. And it's fueled by two sort of underlying forces. One is that the population growth, obviously. And the second thing that we, uh, we are getting more people in, in sort of the, the global middle class. So you get more consumption per capita as well. So that creates a huge issue because obviously, if you look at pictures from around the world, you see that waste in the ocean, waste on land, etc., is, is, is a tremendous problem. Obviously, not such a big problem 
by itself in, in Scandinavia or, 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 or you know, in, in, in the Western countries because we take care of the waste. In, in, in Scandinavia, we create energy out of that waste, right? So we don't have it floating around. But on a global uh, scale, it, that's a huge problem. But I would like to emphasize that that's just one problem or sort of one, one, one side of the coin because the other side of the coin is that we are running out of primary resources. And, and this is tied to the, same, to the same statistics, because back in 2010, we were 1.8 billion people in the global middle class. In 2030, we'll be uh, a little bit less than 5 billion people in the global middle class. And, and all that has to be fueled by, by, by raw materials that we excavate from mines or chop down in, 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 in the forests. And, and that calculation doesn't add up, because a lot, or most of those resources are finite. So what that means is that we have, uh, from a nor normal iPhone, it probably has 30, 40, whatever met uh, metals in it. And most of them we will run out of in, in, this, in a lifespan of 10, 20, 80 years. So there's a calculation for that. So if that is the, the two sort of main issues that we have with waste. And if I want to give you a, a, a more sort of direct example, I would say, that that if you, if you just look at look look at plastics alone, there there's a reason why plastics is a is a, is a very is, is a high growth material because it's cheap, it's versatile, you know, it's 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 light and so forth. So so people talk about plastics as if there's there's a there's a limit to, to that growth, but in in essence, it's growing uh, like gangbusters. And if you look at today's rate of of, of plastics. Uh, and the carbon emissions from a ton of plastic through the life of plastics. And you just add those two numbers up. You end up with that plastics alone will take out one third of the total carbon budget to degree economy, which obviously it's, it's, not, it's not feasible. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say, I could, I could like sort of push statistics on you from different angles, right? But th this doesn't add up. It's, it's not possible to continue on the growth trend that, that we have today or I've had for, 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 for many decades now. So is it fair to say, we think of population growth, right? And, and a lot of that middle-class growth is coming in developing nations, which is understandable. Do we see, is that where majority of that, you think that new waste creation is going to come from? Are we still seeing it though also in developed worlds? Like what, what is preventing people from getting this right? I think it's a different issue in developing nations, right? Because they have a lot of moving parts and they have a lot of people moving in to the buying class for the first time. And there's a lot of companies that are trying to take advantage of that. And But for like developed nations that are not seeing population growth that are have, have already moved a significant part of their economies into the middle class or above, what what is holding them back from getting to places like for the United States, for example? Statistically, it doesn't seem we're doing nearly as well as as you mentioned places like Scandinavia. Both are like considered developed worlds, developed economies. What is preventing folks like the United States from kind of moving the needle faster in the right direction? Yeah, so 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 I guess many questions in one, right? And I I think yeah, <laughs> if you start with sort of the the growth part of the question, I, waste is growing across the board. So it's not only growing in the, in the developing part of the world, it's, it's growing fast per capita in the developed world. But obviously the growth is highest 
in the developing because they are, the, the population growth is, is the highest, especially from middle income, middle incomes. And that the, the problem of waste, on the other hand, is, is increased in the developing world because we uh, have had a system where we have exported waste to the developing world. So not only do they get their own waste, they get our waste as well. So, so, so therefore, you, 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 you see a situation where the waste issue is much more of a developing world issue, but not only to, to, to as a result of their own actions. So, that, so that's a little bit part of so where, where, where we are today. The, in terms of why don't we, you know, who's doing the most and why don't we do more? Uh, I don't think perhaps that that's as black and white in, in sort of in sort of saying that the developing versus developed world is it's 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 the, the it's the sort of the developed world that's doing the most because what you see is that the region or countries like China they are sort of skipping a bunch of steps and 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 so I, 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 they they must have realized that the type of population growth that they have and the type of emission issues that they have they need a step change in how they deal. Uh, in term uh, with, with with all parts of a circular economy in re- in reality, because uh, it's it's not sustainable to 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 continue to live there unless politicians do something about it because it's so the problem is so tangible. So so I would say that yes, we are far ahead in 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 Scandinavia. Uh, we are far ahead in in North, Northern Europe with Germany, Benelux, and so forth. I would I would categorize the U.S. as a be, being a little bit behind. I think that's a matter of political decisions. And and sort of the emphasis that that you have on on the the importance of global climate change, the importance of uh, a circular economy, and so forth, which is leading a lot of, of of politicians, at least over here, to implement a goods or a growth arena for companies like ours. Well, let's talk about the circular economy, and just for our listeners, if you can just start by explaining how you define that and what it means to you, and then a, you know, second part of that question is. At what point do we reach that, what you would consider a circular economy? Is it only 100% or nothing? Or is there a threshold where, hey, once we are properly circulating X percentage of our products and supplies, or we've, we've like, where where do you define circular economy at what thresholds? Yeah, no, I, I don't think there's a mathematical answer to that. I think, but, but you are sort of getting to the point of the circular economy, which is to decouple our economic activity from the consumption of finite resources so in other words if, if you if you had a excel model of, of where you knew exactly how much resources are left of copper and zinc and uh, oil and so forth and then you you on the other hand put in your gdp growth you i guess you could theoretically create a model where you said you know well the 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 answer is x percent that you have to fuel the growth with the resources already in the economy by recycling it instead of sort of drawing it out of oil wells and from uh, excavating out of mines and so forth, right? But, but so, so not giving you a, a number there, I, I think the whole point here is we have a wish, vision in our company, which is that there is no such thing as waste. That is obviously wrong because uh, a lot of things are treated as waste today because it's, it's, it's hazardous or we have no solution for it and so forth. But but even so, I think the, 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 the ability to always strive for everything to be reused again, that, that's a good goal. And, and let's, let's just think about it as 80-20. As long as we can deal with you know, the, the bulk of things, I think we're in a good, good spot. But I think it's important to also just emphasize that, look, this, this notion of the circular economy is much wider than what I just spoke of. Because 
that is, is, is not only recycling, if you will. It, 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 it matters with prolonging the lifespan of products. It deals with sharing models of, of where you, the U.S. is leading, right? In, in, in Uber and you know, other sort of sharing models that, that are coming out of Silicon Valley, I guess. There's a whole importance of reusing the products, not just ripping it apart and recycling it, but actually managing to reuse the products by, by creating marketplaces where people can take over and, and, and reuse and so forth. Then you come to recycling, and then if it can't be recycled, you at least try to utilize the captured energy somehow. So it's a, it's a sum of, 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 of many actions, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because I think it, it sort of kind of falls in line with what in other areas when we're talking about climate, we always talk about kind of three, there's, there needs to be progress on three levels, which is at the kind of government level, the you know, corporate level and the individual level. And I think there's no difference here with, with waste. If if we can go through each of those three levels, I'm curious on like what what would you like to see ideally? Let's first start at the you know policy level. What are the policies that you think are really important for tackling this problem? And then what are the innovations and the kind of private sector, be it business models or technologies? And you can obviously reference some of the some of the ones that your company employs that that you think are very progressive. And then finish with the individual level. What are you talked about? Just some of it with the sharing economy as an example. I, I used to do some work with Poshmark, which is a marketplace for reselling clothes. But what are the things you'd like to see individuals do to contribute? So maybe we just go through all three of those levels real quick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let, let me give you an anecdote, uh, though, sort of taking you, I guess, almost uh, about thirty years back when there was a, a young girl at the, at, the, at the UN Climate Accords who sort of confronted the, 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 the people there with, what are you doing? You're ruining the climate and our future. And it sounds like Greta Thunberg, like, like she did a couple of years ago, but this was 30 years ago. And the reason was that there were, there were huge issues to be handled. At that point, we talked about the, the hole in the ozone layer and we spoke about acid, uh, acid rain and those type of issues. And what happened was that businesses, industry, came together and decided to do something about it. So, so the individual companies started competing with, with replacing freon gas and so forth with, with other gases to make sure that we, we don't destroy uh, the climate. And th- the reason why I'm saying that is I'm a, 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 I'm a full-hearted supporter that business needs to to actually solve this problem. Yes, we need help from government. And yes, we need help from consumers. But businesses, I believe, will be sort of the key driving uh, force of, of, of doing that. Just as, as, as that happened in, in, in those uh, examples, as I just mentioned. And so if I, if I sort of uh, go back to your question of the three, three parts, right? In terms of, 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 of the circular economy, and especially when it comes to waste, I think that we have a, global legal framework and the legal framework in, in, in different domiciles that is created out of a notion that we have something that's waste and it's dangerous and we need to get rid of it and we need to handle with care. Uh, and, and all those laws and regulations are not made out of an, an understanding that this is not waste. These are resources that have gone astray and resources that we need to get back into, into the value chains. And the consequence of that is that if there's if there's one thing that governments can do is to revisit their legal framework and find all those 
limitations and boundaries that they have entered into you know the specs for products the ability to export there's a whole there, there, there are millions of limitations where recycled raw materials don't play on a level playing field with 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 the virgin raw materials and i understand that we need a, a framework because we need to make sure that you don't get hazardous materials in those things but we can't move forward unless governments do something about that and the Thing, can, I can, can I just ask a question? Just a real quick question about that. Yeah. Um, I just want to clarify. When you say the recycled raw materials don't play an even playing field, is that is that just stigma, or is that actual like is there actual like science behind that? Is it is it just like how 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 much of that is is real versus not like and what's driving that? You know, and again, I don't have an exact number. If I were to guess, I would say eighty percent is stigma and legacy, and twenty percent is is real. Because once you once you go down that route and you try to to understand why can we not export this material? Why can we? Why was it? Why are we unable to build a building based on 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 this gypsum, on that sort of steel, on this using that type of copper? Then then you understand that a lot of that stuff is just because uh, ten years ago, twenty years ago, this was waste, and there was no reason why to think that way because we 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 excavated it out out of the mines instead. So. I, 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 I think it's an 80-20 thing, but I don't have any facts to support that. Uh, the second thing I would say in terms of, 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 of governments, I think that I think we need to understand that that we we need to create markets for for recycled raw materials, and this the, the markets to actually sell in are nascent, which and the value chains are nascent, which means that once you're competing with 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 primary raw materials, virgin raw materials, where those value chains and markets have existed for this, you know, decades. That's, it's, it's hard to sort of get up to an economy of scale, if you will, up the learning curve in order to actually get to the point where you, where you are able to, to compete. And I, 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 guess, I guess I can, I, I, if you want, I can give you an example of a, a, a concrete thing we did on gypsum. Yeah, so 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 because sometimes it helps with the the more abstract term of circular economy to think about one material and think you know well uh, gypsum that's a material with infinite lifespan, but what what's happening to the gypsum today? It's not becoming new gypsum. No, it's 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 mined in 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 mines in Spain or in in, in Poland. It's transported to Scandinavia, where it's used like in gypsum plates in 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 construction and so forth. And when you refurbish, those plates are taken down and they're landfilled because they're no, they're no, there's no use for it. And uh, gypsum contains a lot of sulfur and so forth. So it, it, that's not good for the environment. And it's not good for uh, good use of a material that could be reused in, in, indefinitely. So what we did, in, in, you know, realizing that 30% approximately of the waste from a building site in Scandinavia is gypsum. Is that if we said, okay, we need to change this. So let's create a gypsum factory where we create new gypsum, recycled gypsum out of the waste gypsum. So we set that up as a, as a JV with a Canadian company called New West uh, Gypsum Recycling. And that company has taken 50% of the market in 12 months, which is unbelievable. So they, again, that, that's 50% of the, the, the gypsum waste have now been moved away from landfills. And are now put in products instead that are used. When you say fifty percent, 
when you say 50 percent, they've taken 50 percent and just for our listeners again who might not know what gypsum is i believe gypsum is a mineral to use a lot in like drywall and stuff right and a lot exactly. of like those those types of things yeah and so when you when you say 50 percent they're they're now properly recycling and and selling 50 percent of what was discarded or they've with the recycled gypsum they've taken 50 percent of the market share for gypsum which one which one is it yeah so it's, it's the previous one where 50 percent of the gypsum waste have now been lifted out of the landfills and are now recycled in our factory of which 92 percent of everything that goes through that factory becomes new recycled gypsum that go go into new gypsum plates that are put back into the buildings that we build in that means that for the gypsum plate manufacturers we we are we are are, are getting closer to between 15 and 20 percent recycled gypsum in the plates that they sell right so so obviously the 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 the, uh, the there, there's much more to be done right but the fact that we have been able to outcompete you know the primary raw material gypsum with recycled gypsum at such a high rate in 12 months that is is very interesting because one is a value chain that's been been in place for decades the other is a value chain that's been in place for 12 months and we've managed with that type of volumes we have, we have managed to get economies of scale we, we have managed to get up the learning curve and so forth so the i think the importance of that is some, some lessons learned right because obviously there's a tech innovation there in, in, in being, being able to create recycled gypsum of such a quality that it actually fits with the with, with, with the manufacturer's criteria. But m- much more than that, it's this, the, 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 this, the key success factor here is the creation of a market for recycled gypsum. And the way we did that is that we cultivated the property developers in Scandinavia. So the property developers... Uh, we, we got them to, to say, look, if you are able to demand a certain percentage of recycled plates or recycled raw materials in your new buildings, then obviously the construction companies will go to the, the, the waste companies and, or, or, or sorry, the material companies and demand that. And then the materials companies will go to the waste management companies and demand recycled raw materials. So by doing that, we have actually created a new market that didn't exist 12 months ago. And and it's it, and and now we're at scale and 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 we're scaling it up. I think a, a a final sort of lessons learned here is that we did this without government intervention. And there's a bunch of things that I would like the government to do with this. For instance, I, there should be a landfill ban on gypsum. Why should, why is it still allowed? There's a limitation for our 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 production throughput. Why why is that the case? So there's a bunch of things that the the, the, the government could 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 mandate a certain percentage of recycled materials in 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 the products that they buy themselves, that type of thing, right? But they have not done so. Uh, I think they will do so, but that sort of plays into the your questions about governments, because I think there's a there's an, as I said earlier, I believe in in businesses' ability to change this. Governments are elected usually four years in sort of four year cycles, and and the sort of intervention into markets is always i guess a little bit of a uh, difficult thing for, for 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 governments i guess if you if you're a, if you're a government in a place where you where you where there's big mining business you know it's a trouble sort of uh, mandating clean clean energy and uh, and and recycled gypsum so so I, I don't know that but but even in scandinavia the governments are slow to move 
and 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 we are obviously uh, using every opportunity we have to talk to them directly and indirectly of what they need to do in order to scale the business even further but but when you when you when you talk about the 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 the, the governments they, they 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 need to understand a couple of things one is that they 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 need to put in, they need to change the laws and the regulations so that and that's that's a, on a detail level so that recycled gypsum or recycled raw materials copper plastics whatever it is not deemed to be inf- uh, uh, inferior to 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 virgin materials so that you're you're able to use them in products for consumers in buildings you're allowed to export uh, so all these things that that we don't have today and and the second thing is that the, you, they need to to I believe they should incentivize markets. I'm, I'm a strong believer in creating markets because when you create markets, it suddenly, I mean, industry will always respond. And when industry responds, they, they, the price mechanism will work so that consumers will get paid instead of paying. And so, so I think you have a good sort of virtual cycle. There. But, but in order to get the markets in place, I think you need to realize that for many products, there's a, uh, if you will, a market failure. In the sense that you're not that critical mass, I, I sort of refer to that a couple of times now. And so I think the governments can be helpful in that regard, in in sort of using public tendering, mandating the use of of, of recycled uh, materials, a percentage in different type of new products and so forth. So I think that those are the things that 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 the, the governments should be doing. And and finally, I, I think they should obviously, at least we have responded very in Canada very very well to very high demands on increased increased recycling, both at the source and in our production uh, production unit. So they, they set a new demand for, for our, our metals business. There's a national requirement that we should recycle 95% of a car. And and in, in 85% of the car should become new materials. Now in Scandinavia, it's not a problem to get 95% recycled because we... We, in that definition, we could also use the plastics and so, so forth for fuel uh, to create uh, heat. So, so, so we we were already at 96, 97 percent. So that that was good. But a car today is 75 percent of metal. So that's easy. But to get to 85, that, that the additional 10 percent, we had no idea how to do that. And what the government did was they they they, they set the target. They gave us a couple of years. Uh, they were techno. They, they didn't bother to sort of. Uh, detail their 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 regulation to sort of say it should be happening at the source. It should, should happen before sort of the metal shredding production facility or after. They, they they just mandated that this should happen, and then they left it up to the industry to find good solutions to to actually solve that problem. And uh, and then now now we're all at that level, so that's that's perfect. So that was the government side, right? Do you want me to continue on the consumer? Yep, side? and yeah, you talk about the government side. Yeah, let's go to the consumer side. Yeah, so so I, I think I think it's for, for the consumers. I think it's important to understand that that the w- the way it works in Scandinavia and and uh, not specifically towards the consumers. Because that's a that's a different part of Scandinavia where that is a municipal monopoly. So so we cannot tender directly towards consumers. But to all our clients, if you will, we if you deliver uh, resources that have been recycled at the source, we will buy them from you instead of you having to pay us to get rid of the waste. So what that means is that, is that a lot of our clients, uh, and we, 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 we have small and large clients all over Scandinavia, and 
they, for a lot of them, they end up with a net calculation where they get paid instead of paying us. So the, the, the calculation is easy. If you, if you, do, if you don't care to, to, to recycle, then you have to pay us to do the job. If you recycle and in, at a quality that sort of fits our value chain and, and our customers' demands, and our customers are the, the paper factories, the plastic factories, the, the copper, the people who make the products out of copper and so forth, right? If, you, if, you, if we are able to buy recycled products that are, are, are clean enough, then we'll pay you. And, and, and the difference is so large that it actually matters a lot on, on the bottom line of a construction company or a barbershop or so forth, right? So, so th that's, that's interesting. So when, when you talk about consumers or companies for that matter, who are sort of the, the, the people who, who have waste, I think there are a couple of things you can do. First of all, I think you can, you can, you can buy products made out, out of recycled materials. If you use your, if, if, if there are plenty of alternatives now of fully recycled materials in the products or partly recycled materials in the packaging or, or products and so forth. Now, what that does is it, it puts pressure on the consumer use companies to start to use recycled materials instead of primary materials, which again means that they will be, uh, it, 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 they, they will de demand those type of, of materials from the material producers, which means that they again will demand that from us we will get paid and we will use that payment to pay the people who have the waste in the first place. So now you're fueling a, a value chain based on monetizing the waste because you've created a market. So buy products that are made of recycled materials. Second, second thing is that make sure that you don't lose faith in separation at the source. I think it's, I think it's, it's important to I, I understand that that uh, statistics are hard. It's hard to understand what actually happens, and in in, in some instances, the statistics are even lying about the degree of of, of recycling. Uh, anyway, right? So so it's easy to sort of get a little bit sort of annoyed or or, or unhappy with it and stop recycling at the source. But it's, that's extremely important that that doesn't happen because we we have created a system where we do that. And where the recycling companies like ours are able to create recycled raw materials that are now being bought, and now we are fueling that value chain by creating a demand and, and a value that we will, we will then move up the value chain again. So the, the the importance of separation at the source of recycling at the source is 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 going to be increasing, not decreasing. And again, that is a little bit a sign of the time because. Uh, obviously, there's a huge sort of tech wave hitting us. So what, what I'm saying is that with today's technology, uh, to, with today's solutions, there's an economic sort of uh, limitation to how much you can actually create uh, in percentage terms new materials out of recycling or, or, or out of waste, right? But that is also changing very, very rapidly with sort of the introduction of, of, of different types of robotics, with the chemical uh, recycling and so forth, that is is changing this the whole sort of dynamics of 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 the the, the not not only re recycling as such as or the the circular economy, but, but but also the economics of it. Can we could you help you know debunk a couple or you know clarify a couple sort of common questions, and I'll ask them to you as a as a consumer. The first one, and this is thing is important to your point of like not making sure consumers don't get jaded. About like oh what's the point right we that's the that's what we don't want to get to, the first one is what actually can is being recycled so what 
I've been told and what I've been practicing is if I don't see, and, and again, this part is probably unique to the United States and every country does this differently. But if I don't see a recycling emblem symbol on packaging, I'm told that that means it can't be recycled and I need to put it in trash. And I'm told that if I end up putting that in recycling accidentally, then nothing, get, like everything gets, nothing gets recycled. I basically spoiled all the recycling and spoiled everything that could be recycled. That's like, like sort of uh, question one that I hear all the time. Question two is just food. And we are supposed to, I believe, rinse out any food particles from our, from our recycled materials before we put them in recycling. But if we don't, like how thoroughly there's like a speck of food still on something like let's say we rinsed it it didn't do it perfectly does that now spoil the entire thing and and then what is actually happening on the at the separation side are we supposed to ourselves separate out glass from aluminum from cardboard and paper and then put those in separate bins if we put them all together does that ruin recycling like these are the things that I, I hear all about. I, I, I get misleading signals on, and I don't know exactly what the answer is. Yeah, and, and, and I can sort of picture myself, you, you standing by the waste bin in the middle of stuff. That's a big question mark every day, right? <laughs> and, and, and I understand that. It's, it's difficult. It, this is, it's difficult, and I, I, there's no, there's no, there, there is no sort of clear answer because that's a dynamic picture. The, 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 the point is that the, it, 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 you have technical limitations. Uh, you have material limitations. You have legal limitations and other other limitations as well to what you can actually do, right? But but if you sort of think about it as a spectrum, on 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 one side you have metals, extremely easy to recycle because it doesn't really matter if you if you mix it up with other things. Uh, and by the way, metals is not metals, so you need to separate the copper from the aluminum. So 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 you need to also in the recycling do that because no no company will buy sort of a mixed bag of metals they want to buy 97.4 uh, percent pure aluminum or 99.3 percent pure copper and it cannot contain this or that material as as well and so so what you what you what you are really as, as asking for is what is the variance levels that ca that can be uh, tolerated in a in a paper pulper or in or in a metal smelter or in a plastic smelter, what what tolerances do do they have there in order for 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 them not ruining their production process by putting the wrong things in there? So so when it comes to to metals, you you can give us a full car and we put it in on the one end of the machine. It will uh, crush the car in in uh, after taking the hazardous stuff out, obviously, but they will crush the rest of the car into into small pieces. And with 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 the magnets, we will take out the steel. Then we will have an electromagnet that mean, that takes out the non-magnetic metals and separate them from the upholstery and the plastics and so forth. And then we will have other robots looking at uh, you know near infrared, looking at colors and, and shapes and so forth that are separating copper from aluminum and so forth. Right. So a very sort of mechanical process uh, based on robotics, where you know the the the, the it doesn't really matter that much what you do at the source, because we will be able to 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 have an extremely high uh, degree of, of of recycling and, and uh, defined as becoming a new material in, in that regard, right? A similar matter is is uh, paper. So as long as you don't 
if, 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 if you start contaminating your paper with food, then you, you destroy the fibers. But to a certain degree, we need to have you separate the paper, at the, at the moment at least, separate the paper at the source. But it can be different types of paper. It could be cardboard, it could be tissues, it could be writing paper and so forth. Because we have the technology to separate that. In fact, our company, we have the, 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 we, we have the most advanced paper sorting line in the world bought by BHS, a Oregon company. So, so it's a very interesting manufacturing line. But if you put too much waste together with the paper, that machine won't work. So, so we are, we, 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 if we want to get paid properly by the, the paper manufacturers, we need both a good separation by, by the source and for sure not food polluted or anything like that. And then we need also a high degree of, of uh, robotic sorting and artificial intelligence that sort of keeps on, on, on improving that process. So that's a different part. If you move into to, to, to plastics, it's, it's at the moment much more difficult because plastics is not plastics. There are hundreds different type of plastic types and all the plastics have been sort of, uh, you, you, you create plastics for a purpose. So for instance, the plastics in a, in a car might have elements put in it so it so it doesn't catch fire so so there's bromide for instance in the plastics which means that you cannot use that plastics for you know many purposes thereafter so when it comes to to plastics at the moment we are very dependent on 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 separation by the source in fact in in our company we create new plastics out of almost 67% of all the plastics we we collect but we do that because we have a huge degree of separation by the source and high quality demands where we you know the people who provide us with clean plastics uh, sorted they will be paid a lot by us and the people who mix their plastics or mix it with other things they have to pay us so there's a huge incentive there but i i mentioned plastics because it's an interesting thing because right there it's a there's a lot of technology technological development happening at the moment with chemical upcycling, where you break down the the the, the molecules in in in, in pyrolysis, I think the the technologies or plasma technology, where you you basically cre- create new carbon molecules out of the plastic molecules, and those carbon molecules, for instance, in naphtha, can be then used to create new plastics. So so that's a, that's an example of a of a, of a material where where there's a, a current state of things based on the current technology and a huge wave of new companies with new technologies competing to create completely different and much better sol- solutions. So in order to sort of go straight into your questions about how much food you can you can have in your plastics, I think I, I, I don't think that's a, as, as a it, it, it's it's a big part of the issue actually because once when we get the plastics that we want before it's reused again it's washed. So, so you, you are able to get pollutants out, out of the way. I think it's a much greater issue that, that when you deliver us a plastic packaging uh, of some sort, right? That's not one sort of plastic. It's three sorts of plastics combined together and there's some, some, some other adherents or, or something put into it. So that, that, so, so, and that goes into a final point with regards to a lot of these issues is that we need to, to, to push the, the, the consumer good companies and the people who produce products and, 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 and packaging to, to manufacture for recyclability. Because today, most of the products are not created with that in mind. And that obviously is a huge hindrance 
in, in terms of, 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 of getting to, to a circular economy. The final thing you mentioned was, was food. There, there, it's, it's interesting. We, 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 today, at least in Scandinavia, I don't have the exact percentage, but say half and half or something like that. Or the, 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 some of the food is, is being used in it to create heat. That's obviously a very, very bad solution because the rest of this, all the, all the food is, is created, is used to create biogas. But when you look at sort of the, the sort of biogas production, uh, you realize that actually the most important thing with that is not the biogas. It's good that you can use the, the, the food waste to, to create gas that you can use to you fuel your, your, your bus or truck or something like that. But, but what is really happening here is that the world is, has a finite level of, of phosphorus. And, and phosphorus, phosphor is a, is a material that is needed for all, all humans and plants to grow. And so we cannot run out of, of phosphorus. And therefore, if we, if, we, we, if we burn the food waste, we destroy that. If we uh, create in a biogas plant, biogas, and the rest is a bio-fertilizer, bio then we can actually you know, reuse the phosphorus and put it back in, in the fields. So, so, so that just shows you that, that the logic is not the same for different types of, of materials. It's not even the same for different types of plastics. It's not the same for different type of markets because what's what's economically viable in a big market like the U.S. may be completely uneconomical in a small market like uh, like Norway. So it, it, the, the devil is in the detail here, but we are definitely sort of moving in the in, in the right way in, in terms of getting more and more and more of these re- resources reused uh, again and again. It, is it is it true or false that if as a consumer, if you make a mistake and you do put something in the recycling bin that gets collected once a week that should not be recycled, you have essentially spoiled the entire collection. It's false on an individual level, and it's, it could be true if everyone does like that. So, so it goes back to the tolerances of the, the manufacturer's pulper or, or the, the smelter, right? So, so it, it means that in, in, in terms of, 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 of paper, for instance, they're, 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 it's not a problem that there's somewhere between uh, one and perhaps nine percent of, of, of other uh, you know waste in there because we are able to sort that out and the pulper have that sort of sort of tolerance but that's not the same depending on what product that you're talking about but one consumer is not going to change that at all but the problem is that if all consumers think that way then you know the the, the and, and you add up the companies as well. <laughs> Then, then, then you impact the waste streams in a material part. I think I read about biodegradable plastic bags, and I don't actually remember the exact number, but I think the, the number was approximately 5%. So if 5% of the plastic bags that are collected become biodegradable, we don't have a technology to separate biodegradable plastics from you know, virgin plastics. That, that, that technology doesn't exist at the moment. And so once that the, the, the cumulative amount of biodegradable plastic goes over 5%, then we have to, 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 to burn it all for energy instead of creating new plastics as we do today. So if you want There's also some really misleading, troubling marketing around biodegradable plastics where I've seen companies will say, quote unquote, you know, using biodegradable plastics, but it's not 100% biodegradable. It's just using, like they're, they're using some biodegradable materials and that gives the consumer the misconception that oh, I can just put this in the trash; it's going to biodegrade, and 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 it gets into the world of greenwashing, which is a problem 
in every industry. We had a whole episode about greenwashing in fashion last year. So I guess in summary for the consumer level, like three things to keep in mind. One is continue to separate and recycle at the source. Don't stop doing that. Keep doing it consciously. Keep set, like you know, look for those symbols, especially with plastics. Learn about what's recyclable and not and keep doing it. Two, as you mentioned, is like buy recyclable goods, like embrace that, embrace the secondhand clothing, like all these things, like be part of that consumer economy, make that popular. And I'll add a third one, which I just think everybody should do is just, just consume a little less. (laughs) It's it's obvious, but for some people, they need to be reminded of it (laughs) more often than not. No, this is really helpful. Just a couple more questions. So, and I look at the world of renewable energies, right? A big part of moving us from fossil fuels to renewables is government subsidies as a way of basically saying, look, the, the economics of the renewable industry need to be kickstarted. They need to be incentivized. We need incentives to move companies over to renewables. I Personally, I would like to see a carbon tax also employed, but I know that's very controversial and hard to, and probably needs to be done at a global level. But But subsidies are a big part of renewables. Do you see subsidies as also being a helpful tool to push the circular economy forward and to like push recycled goods and, and, and materials and packaging and incentivize that to happen with subsidies. Do you see that playing a similar role as it's it's being used in renewable energies? Yeah, well, the way the way what what, what I've sort of read is that, for instance, solar are now at grid parity. Right? So so it took some years and it took some subsidies to get there, but now there's no need of subsidies anymore because you you created that market and you caught up with the solar. Is, is already at grid parity. So so it used to be in need of, of, of subsidies, but it's not, no, no, no longer in need of subsidies. So in effect, what the government have done is to create a market for for solar through subsidies, and now you can move the, remove the subsidies because it, it's competitive. And, and the, so the advantage of the, the, the oil industry of the you know, decades of, of development have, have sort of, is, is now gone. So, so you don't need subsidies anymore. But in terms of in terms of waste, I, I think it's, it's a double-edged sword because I, I think that a lot of the markets for recycled raw materials don't exist and they need to be built so that they are have a level playing field and that they, they are at a scale where they can compete with, with, with primary raw materials. And that you can do that in different ways, right? And one of the ways is to subsidize. The problem with subsidies is that people think that suddenly recycling companies and so forth are, are based on subsidies. Which we are not. We 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 don't we, we don't receive any subsidies. And, and and as I said, I believe in businesses as sort of the engine for 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 developing things. And I don't want politicians, consumers to believe that 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 this is not sustainable on its own merit, on its own bottom line. I I I, I I've always tried to sort of uh, think about business development uh, on a two scale of, of 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 economics on one on one axis and and sustainability on on the other. And sort of looked for the the opportunities that can give us both. And and when you do that, you actually realize that there's a whole bunch of things that will give you, give you both. And I believe that if you can get some of these initiatives and most of the initiatives to be economically viable on its own merit without subsidies, then that's a market, and the market will grow. And when the market grows, then you'll have a a, a huge impact on the environment. So so I think it's important to have to have both. And I think that subsidies might be needed to kickstart it all. But but we have to be 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 be, um, uh, be be careful so that we don't create a a, a market that doesn't have a, a a life on its own. Hmm. That makes sense. 
Final couple of questions. In terms of your company, I want to pronounce pronouncing Norwegian language or any Scandinavian language can be intimidating for <laughs> Americans. So, uh, it's Norsk, and then what's the how, how what's the correct pronunciation of your company? Well, it's it's Norsk Yenvinning. Yeah, but whenever I, 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 I whenever we speak English, I call it the NG Group. <laughs> the NG Group. Okay, I can do I can do that. In terms of the NG Group, I just I want to also what. What are you most proud of looking back at what the NGV, NG Group has accomplished, whether it's a, a certain innovation on the technology side, whether it's a business model, whether it's just shifting the, the mindset of, of companies and consumers? Looking back at all the work NG Group has done, what stands out to you as, as part of the legacy? Well, but I think if I were to choose one, or at least the first, I would say that I, I took over as the as uh, the CEO nine years ago, and at that point, you can imagine the the reputation of the waste industry, the waste management industry. And if you've watched the TV series Sopranos, certain vibe about the industry, right? And, and there's a certain truth to it as well that it, it's been an industry that has been you know less mature and, and had had certain impacts from not so serious uh, act, uh, actors in it, right? And so so I, I think. Uh, today we are the 11th most best reputable company in Norway. So, so there's only 10 companies with a better reputation than us in, in the whole country. The reason why that's the case is that we are number one on environment and number three on so, on on, on uh, social responsibility. So, if you walk out on the street there and ask people who's doing the most for environment, they most people will say Norskemening. And so, I, I think that the the ability to move from sort of a garbage to something that's that highly reputable in su- such a short lifespan is one of the things that I'm most proud of. And I think that if you look at the stuff that we were doing in 2012, we said that when, when we want to change not only the company, but the whole industry, we need to, to grab sort of the positive part of this. We need to find a goal that people will agree that, yes, we want to go there. And so we started working with something that we called the, the recycling economy. And that's sort of changed in 2013 to the, the circle economy. And then a couple, three, four years hence, it become this old notion of the circular economy came out, right? But, so we were very first mo- movers into defining both, the, both this need and that goal and starting to working systematically on all our products and value chain in order to, to fulfill that, that, that goal. And I think that where that puts us today is very interesting because it, it, it obviously it's, it's, it's taken some years, but at the moment, at least here in, 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 in Northern Europe, right? That they, a lot of companies, construction companies, packaging companies, consumer goods companies, a lot, all these companies are struggling to find out what does the circular economy megatrend mean for them? How should they navigate that? Who do they, who do they come to? They come to our company. So we have you know, gone from being basically a, 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 a waste business to becoming a recycling business to becoming advisors in 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 the circular economy based on our knowledge about end users needs material types the latest and greatest technology value chain economics and so forth which i think is it's very satisfying because you feel that these thoughts are in are 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 in demand in the, in the decade that you had have been running ng is there a data point that stands out 
that that you can share like for example maybe a decade ago what percentage of waste was ng successfully recycling versus what percentage is successfully recycling today or any other data point that that stands out that kind of headlines the progress the company has made yeah i i don't uh, we, today we are recycling 56% of everything that we collect is recycled into new materials and 95% of everything we collect is recycled into either materials or into into heat. So 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 that that's the ratio where we are today. And today it's one of the it's actually another important point that we don't have good statistics for this on a company level or on a national level, right? So what we have done through all these years is that we have created a traceability so that we can we can tell you exactly what gets recycled today. And if you are, are a client of ours, we can t- tell you exactly what of your waste is getting recycled and what is not getting recycled. So, so, so that's, that's a huge thing. Unfortunately, I don't have the, that number 10 years ago because we didn't, didn't do that. Right. So this, we're sort of at that level where we, it was definitely, it was definitely less than, <laughs> so I mean, I would, I would approximate it sort of being around 40%, but, but you have to remember that that number is a little bit, a, a little bit dangerous as well, because what we have done is we have expanded scope, which means that we now, we're now handling a lot of hazardous material. And so we are tendering for, for nerve gases from Syria. We are tendering for very dangerous pollutants. And a lot of these things cannot be recycled at, with today's technology. And so, so, but we handle it anyway, so that it, so that it doesn't sort of, because our job there is to make sure that that doesn't go into the, 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 the circular economy. We don't want those, those hazardous materials to go in the cycle, if you, if, if you will. So, so th- that expansion is obviously reducing our percentage, but it's, it's good uh, anyhow, right? But, but we, we are working systematically to, to every year increase the, the actual recycling of the products, not only uh, as some, some companies are saying they create this product that, which can be recycled. But the numbers I'm telling you are what is actually recycled and becomes new products. And I, I believe in last month, right, you announced transitioning from, from CEO to a chairman role. And I'm curious for you personally, kind of moving from the, the operating side into the governing side, the time that may free up from that, do you see yourself as potentially being a knowledge source and an innovation source globally? There are a lot of countries and companies across the world that could probably benefit from the experience you've had and the intel you've had on what you've been able to do with NG Group. Is that, is that an ambition for you? And if so, like, how do you, what are your thoughts on how to, how to go about that? Yeah, that's a, so, so, so first of all, I, I already participate in teaching a course or, or a lecture at Harvard Business School together with George, Professor George Serafine and Professor Rebecca Henderson in the, in the course Reimagining Capitalism, where we talk about these things, right? So, so I find that extremely fulfilling to, 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 to talk about this and to try to, to, to have an impact on, on, on both how people think and, and, and how governments think and consumers think and so forth. So I, 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 that's a huge ambition for me. I, I, I'm, I, I'm resigning from NG now because it's been 10 years. And it, it, it's, it's a, we have a you know, really bright uh, future. I think uh, uh, the, the next CEO is going, is going, going to be a very lucky, lucky person because, because there's so much that, that can be done. But after 10 years, I feel you know, personally that yeah, a little bit, I would like to take my knowledge and I would like to use it in, in different markets and, and in, in different industries, because I think a lot of the thinking that we've done can be sort of moved in, in, into different. And so being on a podcast, that was my job application for a CEO position. <laughs> uh, so 
it's uh, in another in another domicile, right? Because I I I I, I want to continue to be uh, to, to 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 be a CEO or at least top management of of a company that is in a different field where I can use the 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 knowledge and the skills that I have now in order to to, to help that company or that industry to become sustainable in 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 a in a in competitive viable way so that you can actually both make money and be more 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 economically uh, sorry uh, um, environmentally feasible at the same time so 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 I, I, that that's really my ambition at the same time I'm, I'm i'm taking up all types of of, of sort of board roles and, and stuff like this to, to also use the knowledge so so it's I'm, I'm looking forward to it i don't know at the moment what what i will do but i guess in a couple of months i will i, I will know hmm. Yeah, I think of countries with with incredibly fast accelerating middle class consumer economies. Two that stand out would, would be Indonesia and India, that I, I imagine would greatly benefit from having someone like you, just nothing else as a sounding board, because they're they're going to be tackling, I, I imagine, really really complex waste management you know issues, given how just how quickly those markets are growing and how quickly people are kind of moving into that consumer economy in those two markets and just how many, the volume of people, right. In those markets as well. And yeah, I, I like, those are two that stand out that, man, I, I like, I hope they don't have to learn the hard way of doing it wrong for a long time. Like many developed countries have that are now, now changing, but if they could get it right on the, on the, on the uptick, that, that would be probably very, very, very important for us on a, on a global level. Absolutely, but but also not only limiting this to the waste management industry, right? Because I I think that I'm extremely interested in the construction industry, or the packaging industry, or you know the fertilizer industry. You know, there's, there, the textile industry. There, there there's so many industries that need to figure out how to do this better. If you take just one example of the of the of the, uh, the construction industry, uh, with today's technology, you can ensure that at least seventy percent of all the waste company comes new products and you can use that in order to make more money by winning tenders and, and, and getting paid for companies such as ours and so so so, so being able to influence you know completely different industries to become more sustainable but sustainable in an economically viable way so that it, you can actually get leverage and then you can transform the whole the whole sort of business model and and that that is extremely exciting yeah yeah no absolutely it's really it's it's and you're right like it goes so much more beyond waste but just like generally how do we how do we think about the materials we're using and how we reuse them right across the board yeah some companies like you know I, i've had the question from some companies saying in, in in different industries saying that look we we hear you you know no one wants to take that risk of, of changing our production process and and and, and sort of the, the, the risks are too high. And what I tell them is that, look, you don't do that. Because I, I can tell you already now that if you, if you don't put different plates out of recycling, our company will create those plates. And we will, we will take your business, for, we will eat it for breakfast. So, so that's a huge business opportunity for the people who, who have that, that knowledge and know how to create industrial scale based on sustainable products to take the business from the ones that are lagging. And I think that's a huge sort of separator in, in the next 10 years to come. Awesome. Well, I just finish up with a couple, a couple simple questions. The first one is, is there a, you know, book or, or film or uh, on the circular economy 
that you recommend people read? Is there is there something or watch? Is there anything out there that you can say, hey, go read this book or watch this film, and this will this will really indoctrinate you into into what 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 you're talking about here? If you want to get started, and I, I would start with with the, the new book from uh, Rebecca Henderson, Reimagining Capitalism. It's not. Mm, yeah, it's not. That's been recommended a few times. Yeah, it's not directly linked into recycling, but it, 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 I mean, the key notion is that look, the capitalism is one of the world's greatest inventions, but it's broken because all the externalities means that we are polluting our oceans and our our, our forests and so forth. We so, so you, you get global warming, so we have to find a way. We have no better system. We have to find a way to change capitalism. How do we do that with sort of being a being a, a business person? And I think that's a, a very, very powerful notion that I, I, I wish that more people have. I guess a lot of people are reading it at the moment, but I, I, I would recommend that for a basis. Also, have you read the Donut Economics book from Kate Raworth? I haven't. No, I, I, I will now. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It also basically, she's putting a new macroeconomic um model out there that acknowledge that like basically does not allow for just externalities that traditional macroeconomics do and sort of talks about how we need to be in the center of that donut right like we don't want to be in, in that like middle hole we also have to have bounds of our economics and understand that everyone prospers sort of in that in that middle ring versus going too extreme in either direction but it's in the same vein and i think you really enjoy reading it and then lastly, just because we cover a lot of wildlife stuff here in Animalia, as you maybe browsed our, our site or looked at our past episodes, it's a big part of just honoring you know, all life and it's a huge passion of mine. And it goes to, to, to their role in, in, in the natural world and their role in sequestering carbon and, and doing work for us that we don't really you know, see or understand. What is your favorite animal? I mean, I'm, I, it's, it's, very, it's very easy because it's a dog. But it's because I, I I have I have a dog and I, I love the I love this dog with such a close relationship. So so it's there are many other animals that are very exciting. But if, if my favorite animal is 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 a dog and and in particular is is my dog. <laughs> so yeah, that's it's the right answer. What what about what's your favorite wild animal? I would say I mean I I've always been fascinated with dolphins because because of their intelligence. So that's that's it. Yeah, obviously, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've grown up in a, in a in a country with a lot of, of wildlife and a lot of sort of forests and and and, and oceans. So so we get close to, to, to nature, but uh, but always been fascinating with, with sort of the the, the um, uh, don't know the, 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 don't know the name of the biggest dolphin, but but they come into the fjords of Norway here, and it's just fascinating creatures and 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 how they're actually approaching people uh, in, in, in yeah their their personalities they're, they they have a degree of emotional intelligence yeah exactly. that is really interesting elephants i think are similar in that in that way we don't have so many elephants. although there, there's actually there is a the there's a marine animal that is I, I think and 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 it's biologically pretty proven out even more intelligent than dolphins yeah. that i don't think it's the love it needs but is 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 my most fascinating animal and from an intelligence level it may be the most intelligent animal outside of humans on, on the planet. And, and what is it? It's the octopus. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. If do yourself a favor and just find a half hour on YouTube and, yeah. and, and, and look and search octopus intelligence and you will be blown away um, by what, you know, we've been able to learn about, about them in the last, you know, few decades and the, 
the the puzzles and the things that they can solve and their observation learning and yeah they're they're absolutely fascinating creatures oh huh. i will yeah, yeah. <laughs> i didn't yeah. I, had no, I had no idea about that yeah no i know it's 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 i didn't know either until i really dove into the the rabbit hole of it and man it's it's incredible they actually have nine brains each of their each of their arms has a separate functioning brain and they have a central brain so it's part of i mean they literally are operating with nine brains and uh, there's there's more there's more amazement that i'm, I'm almost convinced oct- octopuses are are not earthlings that they are extraterrestrials that have just been hanging out here i got left behind or something but we'll see if you come to the same conclusion when you when you dig into them well well thanks eric i really appreciate the time it's been great having this conversation thanks for making it given i'm sure your, your attention pulled in a lot of different directions but thanks for the work you're doing and what you've been able to do at ng and uh and eager to see what you do in the the sort of the next phase of your career and yeah i'm happy to introduce you to alisa and the kintra team and anybody else that like i I know a lot of companies and doing interesting things in this space so happy to make other intros as well perfect i'd love that